Today's passage comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 22, verses 11 to 23. Then the king sent someone to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son Ahitub, and his father's household, the priests who were in Nob, and all of them came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. Saul then said to him, Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law, who is captain over your guard and is honored in your house? Did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father, for your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair. But the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's household. And the king said to the guards who were attending him, Turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death, because their hand also is with David and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn around and attack the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priests, and he killed that day eighty-five men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck Nob, the city of the priests, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants, Also oxen, donkeys, and sheep he struck with the edge of the sword. But one son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks yours, for you are safe with me. Well, good morning. Jeannie and I like to watch once in a while uh, one of the TV crime dramas. There's many on TV, as you know. What I like about it is there's this terrible, horrible situation. Terrible crime happens. But it's all completely solved. Justice is done within one hour. (laughs) Something very satisfying about that. But that's not real life, is it? (laughs) One of the realities that people have struggled with ever since Adam and Eve is that there is evil in this world. We can't escape it. You check the news and you'll see evil displayed in vivid images. Murder, genocide, rape, cruelty, it's all out there. Right now we're trying to find Joseph Coney in the jungles of Africa to chase down an evil man, and we can't seem to do it. But if you live long enough, you learn pretty quickly that evil is just not just out there on the news. But it's around us. It's in our world, in our relationships, 
often in our own families, often within us. And you find that those you've trusted, your family, co-workers, your boss, friends, etc., will do evil things to you and to others. Harming, abusing, lying, cheating, manipulating. We all experience it at some point. And most of us as Christians don't really seem to know how to respond to that, what to do with it, even how to think about it. We're caught off guard. And yet the more we try to deal with it and face it, the more we see how deeply rooted it is in our world. A few weeks ago, about three weeks ago, it was time to turn on my sprinklers. And like happens most years, there was this water bubbling up from the ground around one of the sprinkler heads. So I thought, okay, this is easy. I've done a lot of this. I'll just dig down and fix it, whatever's broken down there. So I took my shovel and I went clunk. Didn't penetrate the ground at all. So I thought, well, I'll just move over, try it here, clunk. I could not even get my shovel in. It looked fine on top, but there were roots all the way around. So I thought, okay, well, there's a couple roots there. I'll start cutting. I brought out a saw and I'm sawing away and I cut one and there's another and another and another and three hours later my arm's getting sore from all the sawing. Finally get down to the major root that's wrapped itself around that sprinkler head and just broken it off over the years. Evil can be like that. It's in our world but it's often kind of hidden under the surface but its roots go deep and finally it breaks through and does damage in our lives and in the lives of others around us. At times, evil can seem so overwhelmingly powerful. But our passage today helps us understand that God is in control. Evil is not a surprise to Him. He can work in the midst of it. He's working out His will, even in the face of evil. And this passage will help us, as believers in Jesus Christ, to understand more how we can respond to evil in our world so that we can more reflect Him to those around us. So pray with me, and then we'll look together at this passage. Gracious Lord, we admit we often feel overwhelmed by the evil that we see displayed in our world. And we confess we often don't know how to respond, but thank you for this text that will expose more clearly what evil is like and then will give us some real encouragement to know how to respond. May may you speak to our hearts this morning. We confess that often our hearts are like those roots, hard, and we need you to penetrate. We need you to saw through what keeps us from hearing your word and being changed. So, Lord, do your work in us this morning. Thank you that your word does not return to you void. Let it do its work this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, we want to understand evil as displayed in this passage. So we want to look at the face of evil. And it's primarily, not exclusively, but primarily in Saul, King Saul. In this passage, verses 6 through 19, Saul speaks six times. And just... So, you know, when when you're reading Old Testament narrative, story, even New Testament story, look for what people say. 
because what people say often reveals what's in their hearts. And that's certainly true of Saul as he speaks these six times in this passage. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6 of chapter 22, 1 Samuel. Then Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was sitting in Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing around him. Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, O Benjamites, will the son of Jesse also give to you all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? For all of you have conspired against me so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you who is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is this day. So Saul's sitting under this tree. He's got a spear in his hand. Spear should be a sign of power, but because of how Saul has lived, it becomes a picture of his powerlessness. Remember, he can't hit a broadside of a barn with a spear. (laughs) In meals, he's tried to kill David twice with a spear, couldn't hit anything. Tried to kill his own son, couldn't hit him, sitting at the table. So it's really a sign of his impotence, really, as a leader. But Saul has his men around him. And notice he says, you Benjamites. It's interesting where Saul is at this point in his kingship. What tribe is Saul from? He's a Benjamite. He has no loyal followers now except his own relatives. He's gathered them around him and he's given them all these special favors, fields and all kinds of things. And he's trying to manipulate them into doing what he wants. And so he says, hey, David won't help you like I have. Come on, you guys have conspired against me yourselves. (laughs) Notice that his leadership is based on bribery, not on righteousness, not on love not on loyalty. And Saul knows it. It's the only way he can keep even his own relatives in line is bribing them. And then notice in verse 8 how he twists the truth to manipulate and motivate these men. Notice he accuses them of conspiring against him. Have they? No. But he said, you've conspired against me yourselves. He accuses his own son, Jonathan, of stirring up David against him. Has that happened? No. (laughs) Yes, Jonathan and David have a covenant, but it wasn't stirred up by Jonathan. And David is not out to get him like he says. He's hiding an ambush for me. That's a lie. David has simply run for his life. Notice how Saul twists everything in the truth around to try to manipulate and control others for his own ends. And he appeals to his own self-pity. None of you is sorry for me. (laughs) I'm in this terrible place. Nobody's sorry for me. Nobody cares about me. But it's all lies. It's all designed to manipulate the men and get what he wants. Dan Allender in his book, Bold Love, has a wonderful chapter on understanding an evil person. And he says this, an evil person 
regularly and masterfully portrays his motives and behavior as innocent. Others just do not understand. Have you been around people like this? He is deceitfully gifted in making the victim of his abuse feel like the perpetrator of the harm. Let me read that again. He is deceitfully gifted in making the victim of his abuse feel like the perpetrator of the harm. When the victim protests and exposes the abuse, he will accuse the victim of being too sensitive, emotional, troubled, or unreasonable. He portrays himself as the real victim, cruelly misunderstood and falsely accused. That's the face of evil. No one's sorry for me. Everybody's against me, even my own men. You've all conspired against me. I'm the victim. And then we see Doeg, another face of evil. Verse 9. Then Doeg the Edomite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub. He inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Doeg, as we'll see, is truly the face of evil. John Calvin, the great reformer, in commenting on Doeg, says this, he is the consummate villain. (laughs) He's non-Israelite. He's out for his own gain. He twists the truth just enough. You see, there's no evidence back in chapter 21 that when David came to Ahimelech that he had Ahimelech inquire of the Lord for him. That wasn't part of it. He did ask for food. He did ask for the sword. But Doeg just gets a little extra dig in there just to stir up Saul a little more. Why did he do it? We don't know. Maybe he's out for revenge against David for something. Maybe he's just evil. But in verses 11 through 13 then, we see Saul's paranoia. He sends for Ahimelech. Ahimelech comes And he says, listen now, son of Ahitab, verse 12. Here I am, my Lord. He's there. He comes. He brings his whole family. Saul said to him, why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day? Do you see how he's twisting the truth still? (laughs) He's continuing to twist it. Why have you conspired against me? Ahimelech hasn't conspired. But Saul's blaming everyone around him. That's the face of evil. He's blaming. And again, he says how David has conspired and is lying in ambush to kill him. That's not true. David simply ran for his life. But now that Saul's saying it again and again and again, I believe Saul has become so blinded, he's beginning to believe it himself. And I have met plenty of people like this who have told themselves lies over and over again to the point where they really believe it. I mean, it's become their new reality and they cannot see anything else, even though it's all based on lies. That's what happens. Sin makes you stupid. It does. 
If you keep giving into it, it begins to take over your mind and you can't even see reality, any, reality anymore. It blinds you to truth. So Saul is completely paranoid. He has to accuse everyone around him, even the priests, the people of God. Sin always pays its wages. And if you choose to give in to evil, choose to give in to lies, choose to turn your back on God, eventually it takes you down a path where you do not want to be. Brian Morgan, in commenting on these verses, says this, In this court, Saul plays every role. He claims to be the injured party. (laughs) Then he becomes the court summoner, the prosecutor, the judge, and the executioner. Talk about a high-control individual. (laughs) When people exert total control like this, it shows they place no trust in God for justice. That's where Saul is. So Ahimelech answers him, verses 14 through 16. We had it read a few moments ago. Ahimelech simply says, Oh, wait a minute, Saul. I don't know what's going on here, but here's all I know. Here's the truth. David is your captain. He's your son-in-law. There's nobody more faithful than him. He's supported you. He's helped you. He's done what you've asked him to do. But Saul refuses to listen to the truth. All Ahimelech does is say, this is the reality. I don't know what you're getting at, Saul, but this is truth. But he refuses to hear truth at this point. You see, when you give in to evil, you refuse to hear truth. And instead, you have to destroy anyone who's in your way. This is a picture of a man who's falling apart, whom evil has begun to take over completely, like... Many men or women that I've known who give in to sin a a little bit and they let it live and they let it control their lives and they end up kind of rotting underneath like an old deck that may look good on the surface, but you put your your weight on it and it collapses. It breaks through because it's all rotten underneath. Eventually, that happens and it's happening to Saul. So this horrible scene in verse 17 and following where the king says to his guards, turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death because their hand also was with David and because they knew he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. They didn't know. But again, he's got to try to confirm what he's doing and justify it through lies, rationalizing it all away. So he justifies it and tells his men, his loyal men, to kill the priests. Well, they're smart enough not to do it. They won't touch the priests of God. So he turns to Doeg, the foreigner, the non-Israelite. And Doeg kills all the priests, 85 priests there, then goes to Nob, the city of the priests, and kills everything that moves and breathes, including the animals, mothers, infants, children, everything. This is a Hebrew word, harem. It's the word to have something devoted to absolute destruction. Do you remember when God told Saul to commit harem? Back in chapter 15, 
God said through Samuel, go kill the Amalekites. This is my judgment on them. God has the right to bring complete judgment on a people that are so given over to evil, the only thing to be done is judge them. Only God has that right. And God told Saul to do that to the Amalekites, but listen in chapter 15, verse 3, what he did. After being told to completely wipe out the Amalekites, verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, those they utterly destroyed. Saul was supposed to kill all the Amalekites. He refused. What does he do instead? He completely destroys the priests and their families. He has put himself in the place of God, and that's what evil eventually does. You put yourself in the place of God. I will determine who needs to be destroyed, and I will completely wipe out those that stand against me or who I think stands against me. Saul now is in a place of utter evil where he has now cut himself off completely from God. This was Saul who not very long ago was winning victories for God. But he's given himself over to evil and now he's gotten to a place of horror. Let this be an encouragement to us. Don't let evil live in our lives. If there's areas of your life you're hanging on to and say, no, I will be God here. I will determine what I will do. Places of evil, of resentment, of unforgiveness, of immorality. And you're hanging on to those. I beg of you, be ruthless. Root it out. Take a saw, cut it out, give it to God, get help, whatever you need to do. But don't let it control you or you'll end up like Saul. He started out with just being fearful and it led to jealousy, which led to rage, which led to hatred, which led to murder, which led to complete destruction of the priests. And then I would ask you to consider who is the face of evil in your life? Who have you seen that reflects what Saul is here? Who has abused and lied and deceived and manipulated you? And let's consider now how to respond to those kind of people because ultimately we will all face those kind of people in our world. Whether it's in our families, at work, or whatever. How should we respond? Well, I want to look at the three other characters in this story and see how they respond. Ahimelech, Abiathar, and David. And learn from them how we should respond in the face of evil. First is Ahimelech, the priest. Verse 14 and 15. He just simply speaks truth. That is a wonderful reminder to us of what we are to do in the face of evil. Simply Speak truth. Ahimelech doesn't know everything that Saul's talking about. He said, I, I don't know what you're getting at, Saul, but all I know is David is a good man. And he's loyal to you, Saul. He is God's man. He's your servant. 
I don't know what you're talking about. Now, his words indict Saul so that Saul has an opportunity to repent if he'll only respond to the truth. It turns out he doesn't. It only stirs up Saul's wrath. But it's a wonderful picture for us of what we are called to do as followers of the God of truth. Followers of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, is when you're in the face of evil, simply speak truth as you know it. Simply declare what is true. It may or may not be received. Do it in love. Do it gently. But speak truth. It may cost you a relationship. It may cost you a job. It may ultimately cost you your life. But we are called as followers of the living God to speak truth. Brian Morgan commenting on Ahimelech says this, Here we have the centerpiece of this whole text, what we really need to contemplate. What do the righteous do in the face of raw evil? Ahimelech teaches us the primary task of godly people is to put the whole truth right out in the public arena when the pathology of the despot threatens complete obscurity. It took guts to speak the truth and brave the violent pressure that would surely result. May God give us courage when our hour comes to uncover and reveal the truth in whatever arena we find ourselves. First, speak truth. Like the man who came to me because he had caught his wife lying to him. So he gathered the evidence of the lying, picked an appropriate time and just said, Hey, here's the truth. What's going on? Fortunately, she admitted it. She was willing to confess. She repented And it brought about healing and reconciliation, but it may not. But the truth is powerful. It either hardens hearts or softens hearts. Some may turn to you in anger, blaming, making you the problem. You don't really know, but our job is still to speak truth. Secondly, Abiathar. What does he do? Verse 20. But one son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Abiathar is the last remaining priest now. He's the son of Ahimelech. He's the only one alive that didn't get killed. And I don't know, but if I were him, I might be a little scared to go to David because David just cost my whole family their lives. But Abiathar knows that God is with David. So he goes to where God is working. I think that's a wonderful principle when you're facing evil. Look for where God is working. Join in with God wherever he is in the midst of this messy situation. Look for God's hand and join in to that. He goes to David. He knows God is now with David and not with Saul. And what it means now that David has the ephod with him, he can pursue God and seek God more easily, and God is no longer with Saul at all. Are you facing evil in your family, in your relationships, etc.? Well, look for where God's hand is moving. Ask, what is God doing here? 
Who does he want me to reach out to? How does he want me to deal with this? Like the woman I worked with, her name, let's call her Julie. That's not her real name. (laughs) She discovered her husband was addicted to porn. She brought it up. He excused it. He treated her poorly. He blamed her. It's your fault. If you were there for me, I wouldn't have to do this, etc., etc. I've heard that refrain many times. She was fearful, fearful of his rejection, fearful of loss, fearful. So she just wanted to hide and endure. But she began to pray about it. Lord, what would you have me do? And God kept prompting her, get help. Find others who are going through what you're going through or who have gone through this. Get help, get encouragement, and then begin to set boundaries, true boundaries to confront. She finally saw God leading her to sit down with her husband to confront him with boundaries to say, get help or get out. I believe that was God's leading in her marriage and in her life. Look for where God's working and join in with Him. Have the courage to do whatever He leads you to do when you're in the face of evil. That's Abiathar. How about David? How does David respond? What a wonderful response, verse 22 and 23. David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Now wait, it was Saul. It was Doeg. It was those evil guys. And it's so easy in the face of evil to just point fingers. They're evil. They're bad. I'm glad I'm not like them. (laughs) But if we do that, we're in danger of becoming just like them. And that's why I love, I love David's response here. Because he looks for where he is in error and confesses his own sin in this. Yeah, he had lied to Ahimelech. He had manipulated that situation. And he had some responsibility in what had happened. And he took on that responsibility and confessed his sin. It's so helpful when you're facing evil to deal with your own stuff and to admit to yourself that I am capable of evil too. There but for the grace of God go I. I need you every minute, Lord, and I need your forgiveness because I'm capable of terrible things too. I need you. That's so important when you're facing evil to look at your own stuff. And then verse 23, David says, Stay with me, Abiathar. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, for you are safe with me. You are watched over by me. David commits himself to protect and care for Abiathar, to be a safe haven for Abiathar. He says, I will protect you with my life, essentially. That's so important as well when we're facing evil is to become a safe haven for others like a a port in the storm that's protected that you be a place, a person who reaches out in love to others that might be devastated by the evil in their own lives. 
that we reach out in love to others, that we not get self-centered and woe is me, but we begin to reach out, how can I protect and care for others as well? My four-year-old granddaughter, Naomi, and I love to play chase. And when I chase her around the room and around the house, she's running and I'm growling after her and she's screaming for help and she just goes and but when she jumps into her mother's lap that's home base (laughs) I can't get to her there she's safe you see that's what we need to be for one another this is a cruel world and does damage but if we can be people who provide safe haven I will watch over you I will be there for you I will walk through this with you then we can be a safe haven. And if we don't do like David, if we don't confess our sin and look at our own hearts and and seek to reach out in love to others, then we can fall into retaliation, anger, resentment, self-pity, self-righteousness. And if we do that, we become part of the problem in this evil world. There's one more thing David does. And it's revealed in Psalm 52, which was written at this very time. And I want to read part of Psalm 52 because it's clearly revealing his heart to trust in God's character in the midst of the evil he's facing. Psalm 52, the superscription at the beginning says this, It's a masculine of David when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Dealing with this evil man, here's what David writes. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. And he goes on to talk about how God will bring justice in his timing, in his way, because God is a just God. And then in verse 8 he says this, But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give thanks to you forever because you have done it. Now wait, it's not done yet, but he's so confident in God. He says, you've taken care of it. You've brought justice. And I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. What does David do in the midst of facing evil? He doesn't keep his eyes on the evil, but he looks at God, and in that looking at God, he reminds himself of God's character. God, you are loving. You are just. You are sovereign. And you are good. And it reminds him that God is in control. He does not have to fear. It's not up to him to deal with evil. His job is simply to keep speaking truth, looking at his own heart, looking for how God's working, and keep reaching out in love as he trusts God. 
It's a reminder to us, folks, that in this world where evil seems to win, that we can ask, does God really care? God cares. (laughs) He cares about evil. He weeps over evil. And in the end, God died to destroy the power of evil in our lives. So let's not give in to the power of evil in us or around us. But let's be people who continue to walk with him in humility, in brokenness, in trust. Continue to confess our sins, to continue to reach out in love to one another and continue to trust the God who is loving and just and good and will bring all things to its proper just conclusion in the end. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible exposure of evil. It's so true. Thank you for your scriptures that just reveal the reality of how evil works. But more than that, thank you for the reminder that you are in control, that it's not a surprise to you, and that we have ways to respond to be people of the kingdom of God in the face of an evil world. May we be ruthless with evil in our own hearts. And may we speak truth, live in love, and live by faith, trusting in your goodness, whatever comes our way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.